0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Let's just bless our worship team for leading us into the presence of God this morning come on we can do a little bit better than that can't we thank you thank you worship leaders and let's also honor the pastors of this house pastors David and Nicole Binion I get to say that I was the first to refer to them as Papa David and Mama Nicole because they truly are parents to this generation of what it looks like to navigate the glory of God. You know, some people are guides in the glory. You know that, right? And that is your pastors. They are guides in the glory of God. Now, I'm from West Kentucky, so I should hunt, but I don't. And here's something I know about hunting. If you want to get a big buck, you better hire a guide if you don't know what you're doing I don't know much about hunting but I do know that and so you guys have pastors that are like guides in the glory if you step into this atmosphere and you don't know where to go and you don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying and you don't know how God is moving on that day you can just watch your pastors because they're like guides in the glory They're going to take you to that place where they know God is moving. And then we're all going to get to participate and reap the benefits of their secret history with God. And so I just want to say thank you for consistently drawing upon the depth of the well of your intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because we're all beneficiaries of your yes. So could we bless them and thank them again for staying surrendered, staying consistently on the altar consistently saying yes in that place of prayer when it gets difficult because we are all recipients of a blessing because of their yes amen so thank you for saying yes thank you for saying yes i know it's a very small three-letter word but the word yes is that tiny hinge that the door of making history opens upon Right? Like world change is a big thing. We talk about change in the world. We talk about being world changers. And we oftentimes get so overwhelmed by that language that we don't even know where to begin. I'm called to be a world changer. I'm called to make an impact for God. I'm called to greatness in the spirit. Anybody say things like that? But sometimes we get so overwhelmed by the assignment that we don't know where to start. Let me tell you where to start. Start where your pastors have started and have continued. Yes! That's it. I promise you, if you want to live an adventurous life, it begins like this. Yes! If you want to see God pick you up like a paintbrush and paint a masterpiece through your life, all you really need to do is this. Yes! (laughs) Because your adventure is found on the other side of your surrender. If you're bored in church, let me tell you, you're not bored. You're just not yielded. Let me tell you, you just need to yield a little bit more. Give the Holy Spirit a bit bigger of a yes and say, I say yes, God. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I sound like. I might get embarrassed, but I say yes because I'd rather have a move of God than I would protect my reputation. Amen? So uh, last night, Pastor William McDowell, I-, I said he was in his bag. He was in his bag. For, for those of y'all that don't know what that is, I don't know what that means either. Uh, but kids say it a lot when somebody does something really spectacular. And so I told Pastor William last night, I said, man of God, you were in your bag. So what does that mean? No one knows. It's okay. It's an unsolved mystery. And that's okay because we're comfortable with things like that. We're a prophetic people. And, um, you know, I just said, man, I have not heard a sermon that was so saturated with the spirit of revelation as we listened to last night. Could we all agree on the fact that that message was extraordinary? I mean, just an extraordinary message. And as he began to talk about what it was that God had put on his heart, Then I I noticed that he began talking about Hannah. And you guys are too kind. You didn't even have to do that. It's all good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, He began talking about Hannah. Do you guys remember that? And I've also been told that Bishop Joseph, Joseph Garlington also referred to Hannah when he began preaching. Well, a couple of weeks ago, as I began to search the heart of the Lord for what it was I was supposed to say at the dwell conference, the Lord consistently brought Hannah up to me and said, I want you to preach or teach or talk or say something from 1 Samuel chapter chapter 1. Wow. All right? So if you don't mind, I want you to go ahead, grab your Bible, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we are going to read a lot of Bible. Listen, I, I, I come from a tradition that is heavy on the Word. I grew up holiness Pentecostal. And so we had a lot of faith in what God had to say. And uh, thankfully, we've been able to maintain that tradition at our church in East Nashville called Legacy. And so something we do is something that uh, I understand now that Deeper does on Sunday mornings, which is we stand for the reading of the Word. So would you guys be willing uh, to oblige me and stand up all together as a family? And we're going to read 1 Samuel. I'm going to be reading the ESV. I like the ESV, I heard Pastor Williams say he likes NLT, I like that too, I use that for my daily reader, but when I preach, I like the ESV, and I see my wife has hidden here, a little trinket in my Bible as a bookmark, which is a Walt Disney World <laughs> patch, and if, if you don't know my wife, this is quintessential Allison. She loves the glory, and she loves Disney. Also wanna give a shout out to my dear friend, uh, Brian Neer, who is here with me today, Uh, This is our worship director. He's also a friend. He's also an elder in our house. His wife uh, leads our children's ministry at Legacy, and they are so special, so wonderful, and so anointed. So it's been a joy to have him come along on a couple of occasions, but really it won't be long before I'm coming along with him. So I just want you guys to know that, all right? I want you to Watch what he's doing. If you don't already, follow him on Instagram and TikTok because half of the world does already. And you can see what he's doing uh, because it's really amazing how God has blessed them. And I'm very excited that we get to do this together, bro. So thank you so much. How many of you guys are in 1 Samuel chapter 1? Also, uh, shout out to Miss Rita Springer. Uh, What a glorious time in the presence of God we had together last night. And I told her uh, previously, but I did just want to tell you guys, my third child, Rua, uh, was born to the soundtrack of Miss Rita's worship. And so uh, every time I listen to her music, I think about my baby. And so it's a special connection there. So thank you for leading us. All right, are you ready to read a lot of Bible? All right, let's begin with verse 1. There was a certain... Man of I don't know how to say that word, but we're gonna skip over that. Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Uh, I think Pastor Williams said it differently, but I'm from West Kentucky, so he's gonna be Elkanah for this uh, sermon. He's the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, the and Ephra, Ephra,ite. Yes. Yes. Ethra, I don't know, okay? It's not that important. But what we do know is, verse 2 says, he had two wives. And the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And now this man, he used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed... He would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Everybody say a double portion. portion. Look at your neighbor and say, that sounds good. A double portion. Why is that? Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, her rival. Because the Lord had closed her womb. Second time we see that. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Which is a rhetorical statement. He might as well have said than a hundred sons, Right. And so after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose up. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed. And she prayed to the Lord. And she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me. Come on, sometimes we just need to remember that right there in our prayers. God, remember me. Remember me, Lord, and and do not forget your servant, but give your servant a son, and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, well, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate. She broke that fast. Praise God. We don't always recognize that as a blessing. But if you've ever been fasting for a time, you know that verse 18 contains a blessing. (laughs) Then the woman went away and she ate. And her face was no longer sad. And that's what happens to me when I have French fries. And then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And not just any son, by the way. She called his name Samuel, the prophet that God said. Not one of his words fall to the ground. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So before you're seated and before we pray. I want to talk to you guys from the topic of an impartation of desperation. All right? Because what I'd like to do before I finish is I'd like to beseech the Lord and ask him to give us all an impartation of desperation. I'd like to ask the Lord individually for me, God, and for my house, Lord, give me an impartation of desperation, but I'd also like to ask for Dwell Church And for any church represented here or any church that's tuned in online for an impartation of desperation. So, Father, I ask that you would bless this time that we have together in your word. I ask that you'd put a supernatural spirit of revelation upon us today, uh, a gift of wisdom in the Holy Spirit that we might know you and your ways better. God, would you shake everything that can be shaken? We just want to get started by praying some scary prayers. We say yes. We want to begin by saying a faith-filled prayer. We say yes. We don't know what it's going to cost us, but we give you a blank check this morning, Jesus. And we say you can write in whatever you want to write in because we want you more than we want comfort. So we say yes. And the people of God said yes. Yes. And amen. amen. You can be seated. Oh, it's so good. So good to read through this passage of Scripture because from a distance, we can be entertained by Hannah's pain. And it's so convenient, isn't it, that we get the privilege of reading the story from such a distance. But what I'd like to do this morning is talk to some people who are willing to go on the adventure of inserting yourself into the story and saying, just as Hannah was desperate... I, too, God, would like to be made desperate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is anybody willing to go on that journey this morning? Listen, I'm telling you from the beginning, like a guide, yes, yes. this ain't going to be an easy one. That's not right. on. I want to start from the beginning like a guide and say, if you really want to be desperate, it is going to cost you a lot, but it is going to be worth it. Yes, yes. Because when you get him you win. And when you get him, all of the cost that you paid in the past, all of the sudden become negligible because of what you get when you find him. Costs are temporary. He is eternal. We get him forever. So I want to look at the context of this passage. And we see there's a man named Elkanah. He has two wives and um, if you were ever looking for a good reason why polygamy is a terrible idea, you can read 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, but you see, you see here, Elkanah, he has two wives. Uh, one has got a weird name, and it's Peninnah, and the other has a beautiful name, and her name is Hannah. And no offense if anybody in here is named Peninnah. Um, uh, but, but the, 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 name, uh, Penina actually means corner. Uh, you know what I mean by corner? Like, like the edge of a wall that you accidentally bump with your shoulder and say, ouch, just hit a corner. Anybody got any Peninas in your life right now? <laughs> a name just popped into your head. You're like, yeah, every time I bump into them, ouch. That's Peninnah. Now, despite the fact that she's very sharp, and she's edgy, and she's, uh, well, as Mama Heidi would say, she's a prickly missionary. <laughs> you don't want to bump into her, right? So Peninnah is not the most kind woman, yet God has opened up her womb and has blessed her with multiplication, and the Bible teaches us that she has many sons and daughters, So her womb has actually been made quite fruitful despite the fact that she's not a very nice person. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to right from the beginning, but I'm pretty sure that there is somebody in your world. And you're like, how in the world, God, are you blessing them? Why are you giving them sons and daughters while I'm over here barren? Don't you see that she is as sharp as a corner? Oh, so I got nobody's number this morning. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. As David said, I pour out my complaint to the Lord. Do you know how often I've been in prayer and I'm like, that person's not nice. And somehow their church is growing. (laughs) Oh, my bad. Confessions of a local church pastor. And and then on the other hand, you got this lady and her name is Hannah. How many Hannahs do I got in the room? I like to think I'm Hannah. Obviously, we got some Peninnas in in the room. So, I mean, I just like to think that I'm Hannah. I'm like, yes, that's me, God. I'm Hannah. What does Hannah mean? Hannah means to show favor and to be gracious. Yes, that just sounds like us, doesn't it? Because we always read ourselves into the story as the best character. So, we're all Hannah today. And uh, her name means to show favor and to be gracious. But unfortunately, despite how favored Hannah is, she is barren. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, we're back now to another reference of uh, Pastor William last night, is that we have these fascinating dichotomies. Right, right. Anybody in here ever been blessed and barren simultaneously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the position that Hannah is in, in this story. And so, she allows the barrenness to produce in her A desperation to cry out to God to respond. And so what we're learning here as we observe this biblical figure, this wonderful woman named Hannah, is how to take your pain and turn it into prayer and not deject and disconnect from the Holy Spirit simply because you're going through a season of desperation. Hannah has been trying for years to become fruitful, to produce children, but unfortunately, the only thing that's happened in her is desperation, 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 desperation. This word seems to be on the lips of just about every prophet that I'm listening to right now. Desperation, make us desperate. Desperation, desperation. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my friend who I introduced you to, Brian here. He's our worship director, and he was leading worship on a Sunday, and he fell on his face in the middle of the worship set and just began to cry out to god and And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, "Go tell Brian he'll be as anointed as he is desperate. and And so I just I, you know I kind of scooted the mic over because i didn't I didn't want it to come through the sound system <laughs> Hey, bro. I know you're having a moment with the Lord right now, but the Holy Spirit told me to tell you that you'll be as anointed as you are desperate, and he told me to tell you that he is giving you a gift of desperation. A gift of desperation, which actually makes no sense because receiving a gift of desperation is like getting underwear in your stocking. It is not what you want, but it is what you need. A gift of desperation is like like an oxymoron because it is not really a gift at all because if you look at desperation biblically, you'll recognize that it is not good. And I'm going to dive into that as we continue to go along. But for a prophetic people for a spiritual people for a Pentecostal charismatic people when you have somebody talk about desperation like we run laps because we recognize the language as being spiritual and we're like yes desperation but do we really know what desperation means and if we understood the definition at depth would we still be willing to say yes I don't know if I want the gift of desperation. If I retrace moments in my life where I've been desperate before God, what preceded that desperation was despair. And so I can't necessarily say that it was a gift. But if I'm following the sequence, what I understand is that any time I've experienced breakthrough, that has always been preceded by brokenness. And so, if I'm expecting a door to open up, I better be willing to lay on the carpet in front of the door in a puddle of my own snot and tears and ask the Holy Spirit to show up because I've got no ability to unlock this door. You see what I'm saying? So, some of your breakthroughs are actually going to be tied to your desperation and you've got to be willing to stay surrendered when you get the gift and it looks terrible when it arrives in the mail but you've got to hold on to it knowing that despite the fact that it hurts I received it from him so I'm willing to accept it not because I enjoy the gift in the moment but because I trust the giver are you with me this morning, Dwell? Am I going too quick? I only got so much time, so I'm, I'm, I'm blazing. Okay, we're good. Okay. So we love songs like, This is the air I breathe. Right? I'm desperate for you. Right? It's like, we, want, we, we love saying that. But in reality, what it takes to get to that position is rarely ever fun. Desperation sounds good when we sing it in church, but desperation as an experience is not really good. Let me give you the Merriam-Webster definition. It says, having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering. No, thank you. Right? And lastly, it says, intense anxiety. So one of the things I do when I study to preach is I always go to the definition like Google or whatever. And then I, cause I want to understand what culture's definition is of the term. And then I go to the Bible and usually there's this beautiful juxtaposition between the definition of the world and the definition of God. And God's definition is so beautiful and so wonderful and so powerful and so much better than that definition. But in this case, that wasn't what happened. <laughs> Miriam Webster's definition was basically spot on with the biblical definition of desperation. It means having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. I thought there's no way this could be correct. So I did a a word study on every single time that a word even related to desperation was used in both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. And guess what? Every single instance all came away with the same definition. It is having lost hope, moved by despair, extreme suffering, and intense anxiety. There's not even a biblical instance in which desperation is used in a positive light desperation every single time is always messy and that's why we don't want to yield to it desperation every single time always hurts desperation every single time is inconvenient there's never a convenient moment to be desperate it's hard to get anything done when you're desperate It's hard to perform when you're desperate. It's hard to be strong when you're desperate. It's hard to maintain appearances when you're desperate. And yet God so consistently uses the posture of desperation all throughout the scriptures as a position to produce breakthrough in people's lives. So what if the answer to your prayers is God putting you in a position of desperation and you're thinking that's warfare. I rebuke it, and God's like, "I'm just trying to answer your prayer. Well, I prayed for resurrection, Yeah, but you're going to have to go through Gethsemane first. Well, I want to be more anointed. Well, where you think Jesus got all that oil in a garden called Gethsemane, translated in Arabic means the oil press. Listen, the destination of your great anointing follows a path through a location called Gethsemane. So you're going to get to determine how anointed you become by the amount of desperation you're willing to yield to. I want to be a big leader. Your leadership lid is directly connected to how much pain you can endure as a leader. The biggest leaders are not always the most talented. They're just the ones who said... I'll endure the most pain. It'll hurt, and I'll still say yes. I won't want to do it, and I'll still say yes. I'm going to hear the Holy Spirit at 3 in the morning, and I'm going to be sleepy, and my baby's crying in the other room, but I'm still going to get up and crack open the Word. Because I say yes to desperation. If you look at desperation in 1 Samuel 1, let me give you a a bunch of attributes. This is how I teach it on Sunday. I I don't have time to go through the whole thing. I don't even got slides for you. I wish I did, but... Well, maybe I do. Man, look at that. They got the legacy thing and everything. They did. I'm sorry about that. Um, But we are family, so, and we stole your daughter. I'm so sorry about that. One of the bands said, you owe us at least three guitar players. So if you look at her soul's state, right? So this is her attitude. Everybody say her attitude. Let me give you some biblical references. She's deeply distressed. She weeps bitterly. She's afflicted. She appears to be drunk. She gets rebuked by her pastor. She's troubled in her spirit. She has anxiety, and she considers herself to be vexed. Who wants that? (laughs) Not me. I don't know if I want to be desperate after all, pastor. I was shouting about it at the start, but now I'm having second thoughts. Deeply distressed, bitter, her soul's impoverished. She's oppressed in the spirit. She has inner turmoil. I looked up the word vex. You know what it means? She's angry. But see, her soul state, her attitude produced a certain type of action. Everybody say action. Action. And this is where we're learning from Hannah. So here was her actions. She fasted. She goes to God's house, which is a great place to go when you're desperate. She prays to the Lord continually. She vows a vow. She begins to make promises in prayer. She petitions for a son, and she pours out her soul to God in public. Can I tell you something the Holy Spirit told me years ago? Break easy, break often, and break in public. Wow! Break easy, break often, and break in public. How much pounding on the door of your heart does the Holy Spirit have to do before you'll cry? And I know some people are like, why don't cry? I think that could potentially be a problem. But I'm not your therapist nor your pastor. (laughs) I'm just telling you that my experience is that love gets emotional. So there's nothing I want to hold back from him. Not even my tears. Even if it makes me look a certain way, I'm still gonna do it if he enjoys it. And the word teaches me he collects each and every one of them. So if I wanna create some space for him to do what he enjoys, every now and then he's gonna need my emotions at the altar. God, I don't care who's judging me. I don't care who has to say something about my behavior. I might look foolish and they may turn me into a meme, but I am desperate. I am desperate, I am desperate, right? My pastor used to say, a hungry man has no manners. And it's so true. I'm not checking for you, I didn't come here for you. I bought a ticket to the Dwell Conference for me. Not for you, not to impress you. I'm sorry, sweetheart, that's not why I showed up. I came here for him and for him alone. So if I need to look desperate, I'm willing. I'm not in charge of my own reputation anyway. He is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it looks like, the people of God say, yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. See, there's something very primitive about the outcry of desperation. But first love is desperate. Today, we pursue Jesus out of well-thought-out theology but I believe he's looking for a people who are willing to pursue him out of desperate dependency. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I'm not taking a shot at anybody, I just think we've become too arrogant to remain desperate. So so we seek God out of well-thought-out theology. Well, there's a protocol for everything. This is how we do it. This is how we don't do it. But where are... The Hannahs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, where are the Hannahs? I, I wonder, where are the Bartimaeuses? Right, right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder where the people of God are that say, uh, Son of David, yeah. shh, Come on. he's about to preach. Yeah. Have mercy on me. Be quiet, bro you are interrupting the service. You know, uh, Steph Curry has this thing. Uh, I really like Steph Curry. I pray for him. I'm the uh, lead of his intercessory prayer team. He don't know that, but I am. And, um, and uh, he has this t-shirt that says, hashtag, ruin the game. And I wanna have some merch that says, hashtag, ruin the service. You know what I'm saying? Like Just mess it up. Like, bro, get, <laughs> just, just ruin the service. Man, set list has had to go out the window because I hear the outcry of a desperate soul. We can't go through the protocol. We can't do normal because there's some desperation in the house and that's not going to allow for protocol. The desperation doesn't allow for formalities. Are you willing to say yes to the gift of desperation because the gift in itself, man, I feel like I'm borrowing so much from Pastor William. The gift in itself is cyclical. Because God gives us the gift of desperation so that we can give him the gift of our desperation. So it goes back and forth like this. Hey, I'm going to make you more desperate. I'm going to make you more dependent. I'm going to make you more desperate. And we keep bringing it back to him. I'm still desperate. I've been walking with you for over a decade. I'm still desperate. I'm two decades. I'm still dependent. Yes, yes, yes. Because desperation and dependency are inextricably linked right? You won't be desperate until you can acknowledge your dependency. And that's what's unfortunate is that we've become so self-reliant that we've forgotten about the necessity of staying dependent upon the God who is our life source, not our employer, not our paycheck, not our own abilities or talents. We are dependent. We need you. I don't know what I'm doing. You know how many pastors told me to stop saying that to my church? stop saying that it makes people uncomfortable. Well, I'm not building a church designed around people's comfort. That's not what we're doing around here. We are building a church that acknowledges Jesus is the head. He is the center. He's in charge. It's all about him. And whatever he wants, we're going to give it to him. Even if it looks like brokenness, even if it looks like a mess, even if it looks like chaos, we know that revival is what heaven calls order. <laughs> I think I'm running out of time. What I got? 15 minutes? I, well, I don't want to do that because Miss Rita's coming next, and I want to honor her. I, I, I won't do it, Miss Rita. You know, uh, desperation, despite its difficulties, is actually a pretty big blessing. If we'll acknowledge it as such. Desperation is a huge blessing. Desperation doesn't take no for an answer. Desperation eventually leads to breakthroughs. How many of you guys want breakthroughs? I want breakthroughs. Are you willing to be desperate? That's the question I have for you this morning. Are you willing? Because here's what Hannah's desperation led to. Hannah's desperation led to Hannah's blessing. And I have a list here. I, I'm, unfortunately, I didn't do an, another slide because I wrote this down on the plane. Here was the list of her blessing. Eli blesses her. So she's blessed by the prophet in verse 17. She receives peace in verse 17. She also receives the answer to her prayers specifically, not generally. Right. Come on, anybody need to pray specifically in here, not generally? I'm not talking about, oh Lord, would you bless me? I'm saying, would you bless me with $5,000 specifically because that's what I owe you know what I'm saying like I'm, I'm saying we need to start praying a little bit more specifically we do right? and we do this with repentance as well we always send retail confess wholesale we need to get specific listen I'm talking about actually getting relational with your prayers church right I want a son right right uh, he, he, not that he could be confused, he's not the author of confusion, but we don't want to leave any space for him not to know exactly what it is in my heart. Yes, he already knows. I understand that, but I'm going to tell him specifically because I have a connection with him. I need a son. I want a son. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking you for something generally. I'm asking you for something specifically because when you answer my prayer specifically, I'm going to praise you for it specifically. I want a son. Well, she gets an answer to that prayer in verse 17. In verse 18, it says she receives favor. In verse 18, she breaks her fast. Woo! In verse 18, it says she's no longer sad. In verse 19, it says she freely worships. In verse 19, it says the Lord remembers her. And in verse 20, it says that she conceives and gives birth. Verse 20, lastly, it says her prayers are answered. How many of you guys want to live in a place of answered prayers? Get desperate. get desperate. And I can't promise you a timeline. He's in charge of that. But I do know what precedes breakthrough. We stay desperate. Now, I want to run through this portion as quickly as I can. But if we're going to stay desperate, we're going to have to deal with distractions. Everybody say distractions. Because if you look at first Samuel chapter one, you'll recognize that there were plenty of opportunities for Hannah to be pulled off of that position of desperation to be preoccupied with other things in her life. Right, because anytime we go through moments of desperation, we're always looking for pacification, right? Wow. I need something to satisfy me. Netflix. Uber Eats. Yeah. Right, anything to take the sting away. Right. Yeah. But as a desperate disciple, can I encourage you? Sit in it. Yes. And don't be afraid of it. Not everybody else will understand it but God does so when you look at verse 3 through 5 you'll see Elkanah he takes his family up and then he gives portions to his whole family one of which is Peninnah his wife and all her sons and daughters and then what happens he goes over to Hannah and he says despite the fact that you're barren I love you so much that I'm going to give you a double portion everybody say double portion I'm going to give you a double portion. And why did he give the double portion? This is so important for us to recognize. He gave Hannah the double portion for the purpose of worship. Not not hoarding it, not holding on to it, not getting identity from it. But he said, I'm going to give you a little extra, but here's the purpose of the double portion. It is your worship come on do you know where I'm going with this because we shout about double portions all the time but we forget why God gives them to us in the first place they're not for our blessing alone they are for our worship so that we would have more to give back to him oh thank you for the double portion I'm just gonna eat this seed no sow that seed you have an abundance so that you can sow an abundance it's a little sidebar, but I need somebody to get that today. And so, you know, Peninnah, she gets her portion. The daughters get a portion. The sons get a portion. But Elkanah, being a good man, he says, Hey, I want you to have more than a portion. I want you to have double. I want you to feel better. I want you to know that our family is an equitable space and you're going to get a double portion. But for Hannah... Because she was so desperate that she she wouldn't even accept a double portion as plenty to rid her of her desperation. So here's number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. A distraction to desperation is actually a double portion. A distraction to desperation can actually be a double portion. We all want a double portion. We all shout about a double portion. And let me tell you, a double portion is actually plenty for most people. Wow, yeah. A double portion is plenty for most people. Give them double of what they need and they'll hush. Wow, that's so cool. wow. Give them double of what they need. Yeah, yeah. They'll put the brakes on. No more desperation. Wow. They go from being the people in the front that are ruining the service to be in the bench warmers that come in 15 minutes late to worship and they just sit through the service silently because they got bigger fish to fry. They are so blessed now in business. I ain't got no time for this. I'm stewarding a double portion. See, a distraction to your desperation could be your blessing. It could be your double portion. How many people get a little bit of money and they stop praying? How many people get a double portion and they stop praising? How many people get a double portion they stop coming to church? They all of a sudden don't need a pastor anymore because, bless God, I'm big enough to pastor myself. Okay, independent spirit, I see you. Listen, an independent spirit will never bless a corporate body. So I'm sorry I won't let you preach at the church. I ain't seen you here in eight weeks. God bless you. Listen, if the only time you will pray is when you want something, God will bless you by not giving it to you. (laughs) Did you hear me? If the only time you'll pray is when you want something, God will bless you by not giving it to you. If I knew that my wife was going to stop talking to me when I gave her what it was that she wanted, I'd never give it to her. Why? Because I care more about our connection than I do her temporary blessing. Yes. I'm doing too much now. I can already tell. I'm going to have to get off this point. I'm going to have to get off this point. Listen, I believe a key to getting more of what you ask for in prayer is continuing to pray after you get it. Are you hearing me this morning, church? Because if you're not mature enough to pray after you get blessed, you're not mature enough to be blessed. You give some people double of what they need and you'll render them completely ineffective for the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I think the devil will pay you to be quiet. Oh my goodness. Oh. He don't mind a little money in your pocket as long as it'll calm you down. Wow. My God. The favor of God will always lead you into more fellowship with God anything you're calling favor that's not leading to an increase of intimacy is not a blessing but a distraction i gotta hurry up listen and 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 the lord ain't got no problem with you having money he does have a problem with money having you So Hannah couldn't be distracted by a double portion. She got desperate. And I am so tired as a pastor of hearing people calling distractions promotions. I've been promoted. Looks like you got distracted. How's your spiritual life? How's your prayer life? Are you interceding? Are you going after God? Are you desperate? No, I ain't desperate. I'm I'm good. Well, that to me sounds like Deuteronomy chapter 8. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and keeping the commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten... And when you are full, and when you have built good houses, and when you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks, they multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and you get famous and blow up on Instagram, and when all that you have is multiplied, then your heart's going to be lifted up, and then you're going to forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is a distraction, and we're called to be desperate disciples, not distracted disciples. What's the purpose of a double portion? So that you worship more. Not that you worship less. When a double portion doesn't enable us to worship more, we've misused the double portion and turned it into a distraction to our desperation for God. All right, let's move on to the next point. Uh, Verse six. And her rival, everybody say her rival. Hold on, wait, I didn't know we were competing. Hold on, wait, what? And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Isn't that always the byproduct of rivalry? Grief and irritation. Grief and irritation because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year by year by year. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, the rival used to provoke her. And then Hannah, she would weep and she would start fasting. Now, I looked up the word rival. It means adversary. But if you look a little bit deeper, it actually also means tightness or narrow space. And I don't know if I've read a better picture of what it feels like to be engaged in a rivalry, tightness, or a narrow space. All of a sudden, the vision that the Lord gave you in prayer becomes so small Because the only vision you have is beating the person you're competing with. In the same way that a double portion could potentially render you completely ineffective for the kingdom of God, so can rivalry. Rivalry is grievous. Rivalry is irritating, the Bible says. And the rivalry was all over two things. It was over fruitfulness and favor. Wow. That's what the whole rivalry was over because Peninnah had become more fruitful, meaning she had a bigger following. <laughs> yeah. right. Right. She was just plain more blessed. Right. Look at how she's stunting on the gram. And then Hannah, on the other hand, she had more favor because she was loved more by the bridegroom and she knew it. She could say to Peninnah, despite the fact that Peninnah had all that fruit, well, I've got more favor and the bridegroom loves me more. You ever been in that place before where you're like, I know I'm the most loved, I am God's favorite, but there's Peninnah over there. Psalm 73, Pastor William mentioned it last night. It doesn't even seem like she goes through any pain whenever she bears children. Right? We don't have the right Peninnah perspective. We don't recognize what's actually happening outside of the presence of God. Listen, the perspective that you need is in the presence that you already have. Go into the presence of God and get his vantage point. I promise you, Peninnah is not as blessed as you think she is because she has so many kids or such a big following. She's actually a corner. Listen, I've gone through this myself, and I don't have time to go through a whole lot of, um, you know, stories. But I remember uh, there was a time in, in our ministry when we were just getting started. And, um, and, man, I was so competitive with the church across town because I thought that their success informed me of my identity. Right? right. right? Because they're crushing it, and I'm not. I must be the worst. You know, and like all the cool kids were going to their church and not our church. And I thought we planted at the most strategic time to be the cool church. And we were not the cool church. We were getting, you know, uh, we were, everybody was leaving our church, going to their church. And every time I'd see them out at the supermarket, I'd say, man, where you been? Oh, man, I, I, we, we go to that other church now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was so, I was so mad. I was so mad. at one time, uh, a celebrity, they came to our city. I'm not going to say who they are, but a celebrity came to our city and he had a lot of friends with him and, you know, he had a big entourage. He's a musician. And one of the people from his entourage came to our church. And I thought, that's right. We the cool church now, baby. That's, I just felt, I was, I was on cloud nine and I was so bummed because I invited my dad to preach that night and I was like I should have been preaching <laughs> you know cool guys coming to our church I should have been preaching he, he, maybe he would have posted us you know we'd have become the cool church right I mean hey listen sorry rated our sermon for real my bad y'all I should have gave a disclaimer before I started but listen just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean they don't experience the same old stuff alright Because rivalry had grabbed hold of me. And let me tell you what I was doing in this season. I would wake up, set my alarm for 4.30 a.m. because I thought to myself, I bet you the reason why they're so blessed is because the pastors pray more than I do. And if they get up at 5, because that's the earliest I could imagine them waking up. They got kids who are a little bit older. I'm going to get up at 4.30. And so I'm going to beat them into the prayer closet and I'm going to be praying longer than them because I'm going to let the Lord know that I am more deserving of the blessing And if you were confused about that, God, then you watch me demoralize my spiritual sibling because that will obviously qualify me for your blessing. And even though I'm joking, y'all know that you're thinking in a similar way, even though you won't acknowledge it because we think somehow that our performance informs God that we're worthy of being blessed. But your performance does not set you up for promotion. It is always your dependency and your desperation that positions you for his blessing. I am not self-reliant on my own strength. When I am weak, you are made strong. So, so, good. so, good. so I'd wake up in the morning. Oh, I'm going to be the best church in the city. Bless me, Lord. Help me, God. Oh, They, they, they probably are good people. You ever been there before? And so, you know, uh, the, the celebrity guy, his friend, he, he came to our church. And, man, I got home. I was telling my wife, I said, oh, we're, we're cresting over the hill. <laughs> Bless God. We, we've been through Babylon. <laughs> but we coming out. Woo! Oh, so and I figured I'd pull up my phone before I went to bed and post on Twitter. Big dogs came to Legacy tonight. And remember, this guy, he was just a friend of the celebrity. And somehow, someway, somebody made it into my feed and said, so-and-so, the celebrity, not the friend of the celebrity, just so happened to go to a church in Nashville tonight. Guess what church it was? And, you know, uh, my countenance went from about here to walking in the sauce to now all of a sudden I was abased. And I went to bed and I said, you're not going to believe, Allison, what happened. I thought we were cool, but apparently we're not. God hates me. And I got in the bed and my wife fell asleep, you know, she says it's going to be. She turns over and falls said, yeah, it's going to be fine. You're right. You're right. We trust in the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You, you're right. You're right. I trust in the Lord. That's right, sweetheart. You're a man of God. Yeah, I'm a man of God. I trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. She falls asleep. For the next hour, I spend in my bed, clenching my feet. Kicking my sheets off. Writhing in physical pain. I'm telling you the truth. I said, "Mm," I started cussing God out. See, y'all afraid of the real story. I can tell you are like not a pastor. A pastor wouldn't cuss the Lord. Oh, I was dropping F-bombs and everything. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't stand you. I hate you. See, it just became too real. I can tell how the atmosphere shifted a little bit. You're like, "Mm, no, no, no. I would never do that. Oh, okay, yeah. Tell me about that. And the Lord said, Oh, um, you ever heard that story, the prodigal son? Yeah, I heard that story before. Which brother do you think you are right now in the story? So, well, I suppose I'd be the older brother, wouldn't I, Lord? <laughs> Here's the point I'm trying to make is that my plight and all of that garbage and all that baggage that I needed to let go of and all of that inner healing that I needed and all of the transformation and sanctification that my soul needed to go through it produced in me a desperation that did not turn me away from prayer. Yes, I will agree that it's not good to cuss God, but it did turn me into a place of prayer to where I said, God, I know this is not PG. I know this is not cleaned up. I'm not coming to you in my purity, but I'm coming to you in my raw, my real, and my desperation. And so we need to have a conversation. And though it might not seem good to most people, it's going to be real for us. You drunk woman, put your liquor away from you. Get out of the house of the Lord coming in here looking like that. Oh, I'm not drunk like you think I'm drunk. I'm not mad like you think I'm mad. I'm just so desperate that I have thrown off all regulations of how someone is supposed to behave in public. I'm not checking for you. I'm so desperate that I need an answer from you, and I need it specifically, and I need it now. And even if that's for me to be desperate for another couple of months, I'm going to say yes to it because I intend on finding out what is your perspective, what is your purpose, because I am weak. Listen, I think friendship with God, a big part of it is just being vulnerable with God and being honest with the Lord and not hiding what's in your heart because whatever you reveal, he can heal. That's what he says in the Psalms. That's what he says. That's what David says in the Psalms. God doesn't bless who you pretend to be. God doesn't put oil on your mask. God anoints the real you, not the, not the, not the religious you, not to fake you that you pretend to be at conference time. Well, I'm anointed. I'm going to be preaching here next year. <laughs> just just be you. Just be raw. Just be real. Just say, look, you may not like it, but this is the version of me that's present today. So this is what you're getting. Yeah. All right. Uh, distraction to desperation number two is competition and comparison. Yeah. All right. Here's the last one. And I'm done. Verse 8. And, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And am I not more to you than 10 sons? Here's number three distraction to desperation. Number three well meaning people. Well meaning people. People don't know how to deal with mourning. Right? I'm gonna have a vulnerability hangover after this for telling y'all that story thank you I appreciate that but you know what I've noticed anytime I've been willing to be that vulnerable in a meeting God's always been present I don't know that's just maybe you can take that maybe you're a minister but I'm just saying some of the most dynamic atmospheres that I've ever been in have come simultaneously as I have decided to be the most open and honest and not checking with my reputation but just saying Lord I'll be the most surrendered person in the room if you want I'll ruin the service if you want But people are uncomfortable with mourning. You ever been to a funeral? Mm? No one knows what to do. Because there are no words that anybody can say that'll bring any kind of comfort. All you got is this. People are uncomfortable with mourning. And so, well-meaning people will try to talk you out of desperation, like Elkanah. Yeah. Why don't you eat something? Right. I say you've been fasting for a little bit. Let's go out to dinner. We're gonna go to your favorite spot. You don't need to be doing all that fasting. You lost some weight in it. You, you look—you don't look great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are you so sad? Let's go. Let's go have a little fun. Let's get entertained. Let's entertain that desperation right out of you. Yeah. Let's go do something else with your time. Hey, I'm pretty good to you, don't you think? I mean, look what you got in me. I'm your husband. am I not am I not better than ten sons? After all, I'll give you double portions. I mean, you get Gucci and Prada and Louis V and you get all the stuff. Oh my bad, too real. So, like, you don't you don't need to be desperate because you got plenty right here. See, well-meaning people will always try to talk you out of your desperation. And when I was younger, I'm telling you, people tried to talk me about it out of out of it all the time. Now, since my wife and I are pastors, I guess people feel less uh, encouraged to challenge what we do. But whenever I was younger, you know, I would just always make people uncomfortable with my desperation. And I'm going to finish with this. And here's one of the things that I learned through my 20s is that the passionate always offend the apathetic. People who are moving always disgruntle those who are stationary. And this is just part of our jobs as pastors and preachers. You know, on certain occasions, my job is to comfort the afflicted. But a majority of the time, I find that God asked me to afflict the comfortable. Let's go. Let's get desperate. Let's cry out to God. Forty-day fast. That's that's how you grow your church, right there. They don't eat. I ain't going there. That's like the fourth step to salvation for a Pentecostal: repent, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, go out to eat after lunch after church. And I, you know, so so I used to do these four-hour prayer meetings by myself. I don't know that there's any magic, per se, to four hours. It was just something that I felt convicted about. And so I wanted to give to God that much time. Not every day, but a lot of days. And I'd go shut myself up in the prayer closet because I was a part of a church and we had a couple prayer rooms. And I'd go shut myself up in there and I'd look at my clock and I'd put it to the side and I'd say, I'm just going to spend four hours with God. I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have a job. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. You know, I was just, I'm going to spend time with you. And I'm telling you, there were pastors that were a part of the staff, and then there's no, I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but they would say, you don't need to pray like that. You, you know what, on a, to, to be, you, you pray later. Yeah, I'm going to need your help with something real quick. And then and then, and then I, I, I felt a lot of conviction that I was supposed to fast for quite a long time, and, and, uh. And then I, when people noticed I was fasting, because, you know, I, when I was younger, I really used to be a skinny mini. And so people would notice, "Hey, man, you have not eating for a little bit. You need to eat something. And then they started telling the pastors, you need to tell Lyle he needs to eat. And then that pastor would hey, you're going to need to eat. Wow. And then finally it made it all the way to my bishop. My bishop came and said, you're going to eat. Wow. And I didn't say anything. I said, okay, okay, I'm going to pray about it. No, no, you ain't got to pray about it. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, you need to eat. All right, okay, yes, sir, yes, sir, Bishop. And then I was walking away and said, should I obey man or should I obey God? You know what I'm saying? Listen, you don't have to clap for that, but like I was thinking of, you know, it was like Acts 16, something like that. Like Peter was like, I'm not gonna obey man. I'm gonna obey God. And then eventually Bishop called my dad and my dad called me and said, son, your pastor has told you, your bishop has told you, now your dad's telling you, you're gonna stop stop this fast. And I have never cried so loud or so long about getting to eat because I didn't want it. I wanted God more than I wanted to break the fast. I wanted God more than I wanted my favorite meal. I wanted God more than I wanted breakfast the next day. And I said, Dad, please, just let me break it for breakfast, not dinner. Just give me one more meal. Just give me one more meal, Dad. Just let me sit in my bed, Dad. Just give me one. He said, okay, you can have one more meal. And, and, I, and, and the Lord told me, he said, listen, you're... you're I'm going to bless you as if you finish the fast because you're submitted to spiritual authority. And I think that's very important. And I think I was just as blessed. So I'm not trying to create any kind of confusion around that. I think I did the right thing by eating the following day. But in my heart, there was a desperation that said, God, I don't care when I get to eat. I don't care what I get to do. I don't care what I don't get to do. I don't care if I don't get to preach. In fact, I've learned now that there is a greater blessedness in being hidden than visible. I'm telling you the truth. I know we don't want to believe that, but but can I tell you, a passion for God is unlike an ambition for ministry. And unfortunately, we confused and conflated the two and we think they're the same thing and they're not. Because a passion for God says, even if I sit in this church when no one else is here at five o'clock in the morning and I don't have a worship team, but I do have a... A Spotify account and I sit here in hiddenness and I get the privilege of crying out to God in the secrecy of my prayer closet. I know that this is more valuable for me than any stage, anything, anybody could ever give me. I want to be desperate and despite the fact that it's scary and despite the fact that I don't want to do it in my flesh, what I'm asking for in this season and I want to invite you guys to join me is just to say, God, give me an impartation of desperation. If you're willing to pray that, let's stand as I uh, finish with the prayer. I'm gonna get out of your way. I'm sorry if I took a little bit longer than I intended. But I'm grateful for the privilege of sharing with you for a little bit today. Lord, I pray that the seed of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I pray that the seed of God would go into every barren womb in the spirit right now and would impregnate and empower them with a desperation and a courage to say, God, make me desperate. Oh, thank you, Lord, for making us desperate. The thing about desperation is it's not just, it didn't just happen in the spirit. It happens in the natural too. There are things that happen In the natural, there are things that happen in our life. There are things that happen in our world. They're uncomfortable, and yet they produce in us desperation. And if we're willing to say yes, then we can see it as a gift from God because he gave it. Lord, make us desperate. Can we just join together in that heart's cry just for a moment longer? Lord, make us desperate. Make us desperate, Lord. We ask you for an impartation of desperation. We ask you for a seed to be sown today in our spirits of desperation. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it feels like. We don't know what it's gonna cost us. But Lord, we say yes. We say yes, Lord, we say yes to desperation. Ruin us, wreck us, move us until we cry again, God. Put our face to the floor until we don't wanna get up, God. Wreck us. We give you permission, Lord. We give you permission. We may have been ruined in the past, but maybe it's been a number of years since we've been in that posture. Lord, put us back in that place. We don't want to get up off the altar. We don't want to get up off the altar, Lord. We tie ourselves to the altar with the bonds of love. And we ask that the fire of heaven would come and consume everything in us that does not bring Jesus glory. Consume everything in us that does not bring Jesus glory. You can have it, Lord, we're not holding anything back from you today, God. We ask that you would wreck us. We ask that you would ruin us. We ask that you would put us in a position to be usable for the kingdom of God. Lord, you don't got to check with our preferences before you inform us of our purpose of where you've called us to go, what you've called us to do, what you've called us to say, we say yes. Yes. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.